This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with a brilliant journalist from Becker's Healthcare. We get a chance today to talk to Lexi Kaiser. And Lexi's going to talk to us, really, as we're going to ask her to do periodically, about key issues she's watching, key trends she's watching. Lexi, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? And then we'll ask you sort of what are a couple of the key stories you're following currently? Sure thing. Thank you again for having me, Scott. I'm a news writer and reporter for Becker's Hospital Review, and I primarily cover news for CEOs, chief operating officers, and human resources leaders. And, you know, for all three of those personas, a fair amount of my coverage circles back to staffing shortages, which is at the top of many executives' lists as a primary problem this year. The American College of Healthcare Executives recently released their annual survey of hospital CEOs, and financial challenges had been at the top of that list of concerns for 16 years until 2021. But for the past two years, workforce challenges, including personnel shortages and staff burnout, were actually listed as their primary worry. And let me ask you a question this. Is there any sort of light? What's the... Is there any sort of hope on the horizon? Is there any solution? What are people seeing? I know people are trying very hard to reduce agency staffing costs, and systems are doing that with some levels of success. Some are closing down service lines that aren't profitable or they view as less important um, just because they can't staff them. There's technological, technology answers. But what do you see out there? Are there uh, how tight is this going to be? How do we move towards solving some of this? Any sense of that, Lexi? And what do you hear? Sure, absolutely. So hospitals obviously are, are very dynamic. They're not just going to sit back and, and watch this pass by. So a lot of the ways that they're trying to retain workers as well as recruit new ones is with perks beyond pay. So some of those look like free childcare or having things like walking trails or gyms at their facilities. Some health systems are even investing in employee housing to help lower costs for people who might move to the area to work as nurses for them, including, you know, Moab Regional Hospital in Utah and Mercy Health Springfield in Ohio. There's also investments in pipelines to generate more interest in the healthcare profession in general and kind of upscale our workforce so that we have enough people available. So hospitals are partnering with nursing schools or some are even paying for their CNAs to become RNs. Um, we've also seen states taking an interest in this issue because it's kind of become a public health problem at this point. So five states have recently proposed safe staffing ratios, which would limit the number of patients one nurse can be assigned at a time. California already has a safe staffing law. It's the only state in the nation that does. But in the past couple of days since Friday, I've actually covered two stories regarding unsafe staffing practices in California hospitals. So the jury is kind of out on whether or not that staffing mandate will be effective, especially considering, you know, if houses or if hospitals cannot meet the safe staffing ratios that are mandated by the state, they might have to cut services and close beds, which could lead to care delays and backups at other facilities. So we definitely have some things on the table that we're trying to help with, but um, we'll see what we'll see what's effective. Uh, thank you so much. There's so much there. I, I'll just touch on very quickly, and then move to the subject of safe staffing ratios. Touch on quickly this issue of um, workforce, childcare, and housing. And those seem more and more like necessities that hospitals have to solve for, 
or, or people can't come back to work if they can't get proper child care for their kids or they can't find housing in their communities at least near enough by. So those seems they've become issues the health systems have to really contribute to trying to solve for. Then you mentioned something fascinating, which is these safe staffing ratios. And I do wonder that almost like the national line, which is a reference before your time, but really before my time as well, when, when you know, France built a wall for defense and it turned out, of course, that that was last century's solution. If safe staffing ratios, although maybe the right intention are so wrong, given how hard everybody's working towards figuring how to triage nursing staff, how to work on sort of just having nurses work at the top of their license and having other people fill in to help nurses. Also, I know some health systems are now testing robots that could do some of the menial tasks, automate some things that nurses used to do. And, and also systems are working more and more towards technology and watching rooms from command centers instead of having to come in every two minutes to check or every 50 minutes to check on a patient. And it's, I wonder if, and obviously none of these are perfect. There's nothing better than having no, nothing we like more than having lots of people helping to take care of us. That's obviously the preferred method and what the safe staffing ratios are after, but are we just not gonna have that luxury of having enough people taking care of us at that highest level of, of nurse that it's going to require lots of different triaging and managing and leveraging teams and so forth. So it seems like that's more where we're going than just absolutely creating a mass number of nurses, which seems like we can't keep up. Right. You know, I think it's important that we take an interest in what's happening right now and look at what can be done immediately to address this shortage. But I feel like we do see a lot of executives looking ahead to the next generation and a lot of the interest in articles that I write actually comes from articles I write about Generation Z. You know, how is Gen Z moving into the healthcare workforce? How are we going to get people interested in the nursing profession, you know, starting in middle school, starting in high school? And so, although there are things that have to be addressed immediately, um, we're also looking to coordinate and grow that next generation of nurses. Thank you. So in addition to staffing, and the staffing issue is, is is huge at every level, not just at the nursing issue, it's huge at the doctor issue, it's huge at every other therapy level. Just we've got this mismatch of 330 million people and aging and growing population versus the number of healthcare workers that we have and so forth. Lexi, what other issues are you watching closely currently? What else is on your agenda? For sure. So one of the biggest stories that I've covered this year so far is actually one relating to medical schools, um, which, you know, hospitals and health systems have a giant interest in medical schools and what they're doing because physicians are kind of the hands and heart of hospitals in many ways. They're one of the biggest brains behind the operation. So 11 medical schools withdrew from US News and World Report's rankings and those numbers are continuing to grow. And they're doing so because they believe that the rankings are not equitable, that they encourage an elitist mentality or a legacy mindset rather than choosing who is best equipped to be a physician. And this is you know, a major issue for hospitals and health systems considering US News and World Report is one of the main ways that we gauge how a hospital is performing. So the question becomes, will hospitals follow medical schools suit and also withdraw or will they continue to stay in their ranking systems as well? Right. This is an absolutely fascinating issue. As, as the hospitals have moved away from such hardcore reliance on MCAT and other sort of those types of criteria and more towards a broader swath of criteria, it's led them 
less interested in responding to U.S. news and being ranked as they change how they evaluate their student body, how they evaluate what they're doing. It is really an absolutely fascinating story with so many different sides to it and, and, and so many different potential perspectives on it. Um, and, and we, I guess, will avoid stepping into the fray one side or the other other than to report on it. I mean, it's a fascinating subject when these great academic medical centers decide medical schools decide to come out of these rankings that's been so important to their own prestige because they're and there's there's a skeptic would say because they're concerned about how they'll continue to rank and then a a purist would say they're doing it for the right reason and you could you could take it either way but what a fascinating debate lexi i mean do you talk about why they choose to withdraw and whether the motives are pure because they're really concerned with social equity or the motives more we don't want to be ranked because we're no, we're no longer going to rank so high. What, what do people, how do people talk about this? What are they saying? Absolutely. So, you know, on one side, we have to look at which medical schools are actually pulling out. Um, the first to do so was Harvard Medical School. And this whole thing was sort of inspired by law schools doing something similar back in November. So a lot of top law schools also pulled out. Harvard being one of those law schools, and Harvard's medical school was the first to take the step and do the same. Then we had Stanford School of Medicine, Columbia University, University of Pennsylvania, Mount Sinai. So some really major and highly ranked medical schools are the ones that are pulling out. So one argument is that people already know that those schools are prestigious and consider them such. So some people think that this might be more of, you know, just an image move because U.S. News will continue to rank them even if they don't submit data and they will continue to rank them high. But the medical schools say that that's not the case at all and that medical education can't be reduced to a set of numbers. So when people are looking for a prospective medical school, somewhere to go and continue that education and become a physician, that we shouldn't be looking at who has the highest test scores, who has the most research opportunities, we should also be looking about the culture, the climate, um, wellness initiatives, and how students are supported within that, um, within that climate. So medical schools are saying that they're going to just report their own data on their own websites because they can provide a more comprehensive view of what's going on at their university. But US News comes back to that and says, well, the whole point of the rankings is that we can see everybody's side by side. And if you have to go to different medical schools websites to compare data, it might be difficult for people to have a full view of what they're getting themselves into. And, and Lex, let me ask you a selfish question, okay? Is it is a sure. Harvard is a Harvard Law graduate, which you know it's already been ten minutes and I've not told anybody that I'm a Harvard Law graduate, so it's a good day that I'm behaving well. Lexi, in, in, <laughs> in all um in, in all seriousness, am I happier to leave the rankings knowing that the last time we were ranked, we were one of the top three prestigious law schools in the country, and, and, and many would say, would say top, but others would say no, Yale, Stanford are better, whatever the discussion is, whatever the discussion is, is who, who is the best law school? Am I better off after seeing the school leave the rankings, or am I better off competing in the new world and trying to figure it out again? Because it, it seems that all these schools, you know, to, to be a skeptic, all these schools love the rankings, as long as the rankings work for them and they were ranked as they want to be ranked. 
but but now as the rankings change what they look at, or the rankings stay the same, but they change how they evaluate things, does it feel like, are the rankings wrong or are the schools wrong, or is the truth is always somewhere in between? You know, Scott, I think it is somewhere in the middle, and I think there's actually one university, the University of Chicago's Pritzker School of Medicine, that said that they would not be providing data anymore to U.S. News, but they also did something that the other schools did not do, which was call for a conversation. Um, you know, say the U.S. News editors and stakeholders, so medical students, prospective medical students, all of the schools involved need to sit down and have a conversation about what they would like these rankings to look like and what is actually missing from them. Um, I also spoke to a couple of top schools, including, you know, Columbia, Harvard, and Chicago's medical, University of Chicago's medical school. And the University of Chicago was the one that said they might be willing to go back into the US news rankings if they saw change that they thought was adequate and reflected the climate that we live in right now. So, you know, having that conversation and seeing that the rankings are flexible, US news is adding equity um, measures to its hospital rankings. The law school rankings changed on some metrics after law schools did the same sort of thing and revolted. So, you know, I think that having but, a but conversation about it. You know, it's a fascinating point because U.S. News must also hate this because this is their franchise. This is their business. Their business is, is in the ranking. They, they then have people come to lots of their sites. People, um, you know, it, I don't know if they pay money to be ranked or not, but but they – they, um, this is the U.S. News has become U.S. News as business. They used to be a magazine. Now we think of them far more today as a ranking service for all these things. And they do give prestigious institutions that are ranked at least very highly. I guess if you're not ranked highly, you don't view it as very positively. But what a fascinating turn of events. Because this must be your point on University of Chicago having a conversation with them and them, of course, having to listen. Because if U.S. News sees all the top health systems or medical schools or law schools part of these rankings, then all of a sudden these rankings have much less impact. Nobody, nobody you know, we look at them so closely for our children going to college, for everything else. You know, you're, you're looking at this school, it's a top 40 school, this school is a top 120 school. Why would you go to the top 121 unless there's really a compelling reason? You know, but the top 41 you're paying more money for. I mean, there's so many different factors, but we do look at these rankings very closely in, in many aspects of our life. So if, if U.S. News has lots of people pull out, this has a big negative impact on them, doesn't it? Or it can. It certainly can. And, you know, I think that a lot of hospitals and medical schools view the rankings differently than the general public. So we'll see how much of an effect it actually does have. Um, you know, this story has, has definitely been reported by major news outlets, but it's also not something that, you know, I don't know a lot of people out in the real world who are taking down their U.S. news badges or who are not going to visit the U.S. news sites just to see what's still ranking. Um, every time we post a ranking on Beckard, it's, it's a, high, a high interest story because people are interested in that easy breakdown of this is the number, this is the school, it's based on all of these metrics, but you know, professionals crafted those metrics for you. So I think regardless, there will be interest in the rankings, but having conversations about equity and you know, the way that those rankings are curated is very important. And that transparency should be available to medical schools, prospective students, and the general public. So one more question. There's a next tier of schools, medical schools, law schools, everything else, that is not withdrawn from the rankings. How excited, it reminds me of a tennis tournament as a kid 
when the best seed was out of the tournament who could always beat me and I had a chance to win. So how, which, which didn't happen often. So how excited is this next tier of schools to see some of this tier of schools move away so that their ranking spot particularly potentially moves up? I mean, there must be some sort of like for every, every action, there's unexpected consequences, but there must be some schools or that are very excited about this to see some of the competition move away from this. Any, any sense there, Lex, any discussions there with some of them staying in it? No one would say that. No one would admit that up front, but I know that's, that would be human or institutional nature to be excited. Oh, good. That competition's out of the way. We have a chance to be a top five, you know, medical school. Any sense of that? Certainly. So it's important to keep in mind that a lot of these schools have already submitted data for 2023. So when this year's list comes out, it'll come out, you know, using the same data that it always has had. We won't really see a change until 2024. However, um, a lot of these medical schools are very big, very popular medical schools, and there's a lot of publicly available data. So just because they're withdrawing some of the rankings, meaning they're not going to send all of their data that they have to US News, does not necessarily mean that they're going to fall in standing. You know, US News is still going to rank them. And I'm sure that there That's will the be question. some. So U.S. News will still rank them, even though they don't send in data. One more question, Lexi. Yes. No, that, that's fascinating. There are some schools that over the last generation have become much better schools. And they take – University of Miami Medical School has become a great medical school. If you went back 40, 50 years ago, whenever it was, I don't know when it – but it seems like the last 5, 10 years, it's become – its standing has improved tremendously. The same is true of Jefferson Healthcare. The same is true of many schools that have sort of really moved up these rankings the last several years – are those schools excited by this or just hard to tell right now whether they're excited about it? It's hard to tell. You know, I think that schools like that are, are probably keeping quiet if they're not withdrawing. Um, you know, nobody's put out a news release saying we're staying in the rankings. Um, they're kind of just, you know, not partaking in the conversation at this moment. But I'm sure that as time goes on, we'll see, you know, the, the domino effect of who's pulling out, who's staying in. And come 2024, if there's a big shoots and ladders with who is involved at the top, um, I'm sure that those conversations will rev up. Well, and that's really ultimately the ultimate question is to is, is will not submitting data end up having a big impact on where people are ranked? And if it doesn't, then some may continue not to submit data. Um, what a fascinating discussion, Lexi. There's so many different pieces. There's a there's a pieces that deals with the positiveness of social engineering, of trying to make things better for uh, populations that weren't as welcome into medical schools. There's a piece of this that, that feels like we're moving away from meritocracy in some space or wanting to contribute to it, where some of these institutions have benefited from so much. So there's really multiple different sides to this question, good and bad. What a fascinating discussion. Lexi, I am so appreciative of your discussion on this and you're covering this at Becker's Healthcare. What a fascinating subject. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today and shedding so much light on this. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Scott.